This podcast is brought to you by Vital Smarts. Have you found yourself in a conversation where emotions have taken control? You can easily get lost in the moment. You might say something you don't really truly mean or your meaning is misinterpreted. Crucial Conversations Training gives you the skills to be able to say exactly what you mean, exactly how you mean it. Visit vitalsmarts.com.au slash DSTM for an exclusive offer. Did feel incredibly restored, I well, have to say. You and I did something we haven't done for many years. We shared a room. We were very compatible, didn't you think? Oh, I could marry you, Doug. I did really? have lunch with an AFL contact yesterday who told me I was far more interesting over a glass of champagne, which I thought was as good a reason as any to stick to dry July. Anyway, it looks like Boris will probably end up being PM. God save us. He does seem a bit unreliable to me. Just a little bit a unreliable. Little bit. <laughs> the AFL's media management this year has been a disaster. Can we just tell everybody out there who is in the communications business, never combine marketing and media departments. It never works. We both fell in love again with crab over I'm overseas. glad you said crab and not crabs <laughs> Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkins and welcome everyone welcome back Corrie it is episode 90 of Don't Shoot the Messenger it's been a little delayed because we have been on a beautiful international adventure but now we're back we are back hi everyone hi Caro it's so nice to be back but not to sound like a tosser how is the jet lag? I'm going mental. <laughs> Potties, if anybody has uh, a recommendation for how to get over jet lag, please let us know because I'm sure this isn't just a, an, an affectation belonging to me. I've just handed you some sleepy time tea bags. By the way, yes, it is. Don't shoot the messenger, everyone. Good local tip, Corrie. No one wants to hear about jet lag when you've been on a beautiful overseas trip. <laughs> I noticed that Nobody yesterday. cares. They it is the most... You, they look at you like... Oh, tough titties. I'll, to I'll give you three. Sleepy time tea bags. I've just given you. Mm. No caffeine after about two o'clock in the afternoon. And you and I do like our cup of tea in the evening. No, no more of that. And if you can't go to sleep, don't panic. Go downstairs, make yourself a herbal tea or a hot milk and... Light the torch on the phone if you're in bed with a partner. I thought you were going to say light the cigarette. <laughs> light the torch on your phone, you know, you know, push the thing up that puts the torch on your mobile phone and just read for an hour. It do- and the minute you start yawning, turn the light off. Oh, it's just my mind is racing. Hot baths are good and massages are good. Oh, Book yourself okay. a massage. Okay. All right. Taken on board. Carol, we had a great trip. More about that later. But we've got lots of things coming up today. We are going to talk about our... Uh, our lovely holiday and we have some good local tips regarding travel you have a book some good local tips we have thousands <laughs> we have of them millions, and i have read so especially many especially if you're going to cornwall <laughs> and watched so many movies but we've selected you've selected a movie and i've selected a book which i loved which you gave me or you lent me in fact sorry i haven't bought it back but mum's reading it now yeah and i can boomerang that we've had some correspondence while we've been away some of it a bit agitated, like, where are you? When are you coming back? Which is really nice because it makes us feel loved. But a hello to Felicity McMahon on Facebook who said, uh, thanks for another great episode. There is an app called Just Watch where you can type in a TV show or movie and it lists everywhere you can watch it. IG, or EG, iView, Apple TV, etc. It comes in handy. I think Felicity's um, referring to my problem with the Yoko Ono John Lennon well, that documentary. Was you, you gave them the wrong medium. <laughs> that would sort of be disappeared why. Disappeared into the ether. <laughs> and um, thank you to Heather Dyer, who absolutely loves Alimentari as well. Thinks that Clem, my daughter Clem's dal recipe, looks fabulous. She brought the gourmet, bought the gourmet traveler magazine, talked about and cooked the tempered dal. What a great dish! Love it, ladies. Oh, can I just say Heather has a lovely bookshop in Fairfield. It's called Fairfield Books. Everyone who lives north of the Yarra in Melbourne, um, and that's probably why she loves Alimentari too because they're over there. And Vince Moody sends you a cheerio, Corrie, thinks that your Instagram posts make you look so fabulous that you must be have been holidaying in a fountain of youth oh. <laughs> because you look so young and refreshed. Vince, is there a tongue-in-cheek there? I'm not sure, but that's very kind if it's sincere. Thank you very much. I Cornwall, don't know how... Cornwall, I did feel incredibly restored, well, I have to say. You and I did something we haven't done for many years. We shared a room. We were very compatible, didn't you think? Oh, I could marry you, darling. I thought we were really compatible. <laughs> you said I didn't snore too much. I didn't did have a bit of a cold, but I am so. What I didn't know about you was how much time you spend on our Instagram and your social media. You are an absolute whiz. I don't know how you get the time to read books. 
Caro, it's look, thank you. I don't get the time to read books. That's the big problem. And we'll get to this when we talk about our July challenge. Uh, I went to a firm about two years ago, a company who said they would do Instagrams and everything for the bookshop and so on. And the fee was for me, quite extraordinary. It was like $1,000 a month or something, which probably is not a lot. But for a little bookshop, it's crackers. So I just kept doing it. And that is, you know, that is the downfall of my day. You were making films that no sooner did we sit down in a pub with a local singer and you're filming us all. And I felt like I was on holiday with Cecil B. I mean, honestly. Anyway, I thought we were very compatible. But I will say, Corrie, it's not so bad being home. Five great things about being home. Melbourne is really the most livable city. The coffee's fantastic. The market's round the corner. You can go for two or three hours in a day without putting your hand in the pocket and spending any money. The Tigers are back on the winner's list. In fact, the coach very kindly said this week that the season started this week, which was very nice of him to coincide it with my return. Well, I did hear the boys on the fo- uh, one of the footy shows on Foxtel a couple of days this week, sometime I can't remember when because I'm a bit of a blur, say that the Tigers, beware the Tigers, beware the sleeping Tiger because they're now awake. I'm not sure that they'll go that far, sure. but they're, they're certainly playing You didn't say it about the sleeping hawks so much. <laughs> I, I went and saw them on Sunday, so that was great. And the other thing is you do come back with a bit of a skip in your step, an international perspective and a renewed resolve. You've looked at your life from afar and you just think you might make a couple of small adjustments. Well, I think it also coincides with the end of the financial year, Caro. So I know that you're not strictly in business, although you run your own brand and so on. But for businesses like mine, everything ends like this is the line on the ledger and you start again. And you do, I have been thinking a lot while being away, so it's coincided with that about what could I do in the bookshop that's different. I was really inspired by the health of the London and uh, regional bookstores that you and I visited because they were buzzing. There was such a buzz. But uh, you, I think most businesses do, and then it, that probably comes into your personal life as well. But what did all the bookshops we loved, and I went to my favourite one in Chelsea, John Sando, as well as that wonderful lady who ran the uh, bookshop in Foy, um, who we almost thought we were going to lose you for a couple of minutes there because the business is up for sale and there was a bit of fantasising about a Cornish life by the sea. <laughs> That's right. In Daphne but I think, the, I think those annoying seagulls would just give me the shits and I'd have to... I couldn't let <laughs> They were loud, weren't they? Outside our window every they morning. They were worse for you than my coughing. No, look, I think, um, I think what, I, what struck me, the best bookshops like yours have somebody... At the front, who is the front man or woman who runs it and who is passionate about books, who people can talk to when they come in and buy books. And that's why they're doing well and that's why your bookshop has survived for a decade. Well, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of the key, isn't it? You've got to be able to say to the person behind the counter, I, I don't know what to read, can you recommend? And you have a jolly conversation. So often in the past, you know, I've gone into bookshops as a regular consumer and there has been a rather arrogant type or a scholarly type behind the counter who really doesn't want to be a salesperson at all. And they sort yes. of look over their glasses at you and, and kind of sniff, you know, if you say, if you've got a Paulina Simmons or something like that, and you just are overwhelmed by uh, a feeling of inadequacy and you scurry out. In London, even at the big Waterstones in Piccadilly, which is probably my favourite bookshop in the world, all the people, there's been a big change in the hierarchy and the running of that company and they've turned a loss into a profit in the last five years. And one of the new managing, the managing director's criteria was that everybody has to be friendly and on and engage. And they do. And of course, you don't buy one book, you buy five as I found out when I was packing my suitcase way too many. <laughs> well, you were, and you were just the same coming over, but your um, lack of reading was my boon because you, I just kept reading all those books that you bought. And I was pretty tired. Including given me. Well, we were walking too, so I was pretty tired at night, although uh, you seemed to fit in a bit of reading time. We did watch a bit of television at night, the BBC News. We were obsessed by Boris, but a bit more on that later. The June Challenge, Caro, how did you go with your olives? Not that you were here for much of Well, <laughs> What well, did they do in your absence? Did they ferment? Well, remember I suddenly, I think I woke up one night with, you know, with a chill brain, sort of a chilled scream and went, the olives... And I was Cause, worried. Because you ain't Clement forgotten. And, and I text her or WhatsApped her and she has been refreshing my olives, rinsing them every three days. We've now at last started adding a tablespoon of rock salt to the mixture every three days. Um, I probably could go into the brining situation by now, but I'm just 
re-familiarising myself with them. So put it this way, they're still in the big plastic container. Do we container. get to eat them before 2024 or...? You'll be eating them. We might eat them on our 10th birthday party. No, not our 10th, but what have we got? We've got a 100th episode coming up. coming up in September. Which coincides with the footy finals, doesn't it? Yeah, and we're going to have an event, which won't surprise those of those people who know us and know this podcast that we love a bit of a party. So we're going to do something very special, but more details about that later. But mm, it is in September. I'll bring my olives. By then they should be ready. Um, so uh, your olives are going okay. My challenge was to read a Mary Stewart and to see finally, after all these months, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, zip to the second. Oh, it was, I was what hoping it would be. I was hoping it'd be on the plane, and it wasn't. Oh. I did watch The Star Is Born, which I wasn't mad on. Uh, but no Bohemian Rhapsody yet, so I'll have to, that will have to move over into the July month. But I did read a Mary Stewart, my very first, and I read Stormy Petrol, which you actually um, read after Fossick's, you. Well, no, before me, you fossicked through the Oh, that's book, right, I did. Sorry. <laughs> you borrowed it. She, she um, doesn't take long, the old Mary, and the, the plucky simple. heroine never lets you down, does she? <laughs> well, the plucky heroine, what's so interesting is, so Mary writes these books, what, in the 50s and 60s, Carol, or maybe a bit later, oh. I don't know. 50s and 60s. So the, no, char- exactly. so, so the female character here in this book is a doctor of literature. She's a university professor and she decides to take herself off to this northern Hebridean Scottish coastline island place, hence Stormy Petrel as in P-E-T-R-E-L because it is a bird, not something you put in your car. And she's Is that pre- why you're planning our walk in Scotland next year? Has no. Mary inspired you? <laughs> she has not known Harry Potter's inspired Oh, heavens. <laughs> No, 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 no. Shetland has inspired me and that rather um, craggy, nice-looking detective, floor detective person. <laughs> oh, yes, that was, um, um, that, the, that was, a, repeat, it was a repeat series, yeah, but, but it finished forget, on the ABC Caroline, on if it wasn't night. for my crushes on people on television, we would not have gone to Cornwall. I would not have said it because the whole Paul Dark thing started me off and then the Daphne <laughs> Demora. So if it wasn't for Paul Dark, how much Paul Dark is in, what about the, in the shops? What about those Paul Dark mugs? Weren't they hysterical? What about when we realised that they were launching the series of Paul Dark? In a nearby Cornish village, while we were there, and they didn't invite us. I know, didn't they I know. know. We were there. That was that was one of our. We made only made a couple of errors, and that was one of them. No, um, well, you've got to get on to her Greek ones now. So, well, I, I will do a bit of Mary, but probably more your light entertainment. But really good for the plane actually coming home. I, yep. I, I began it and ended it. It was really easy, good story. What I was going to say though about these heroines is that you know they're 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 self sufficient feminists in their own quiet way, and I think that makes uh, Mary Stewart an interesting. Yeah. Yes. You've got to put it in the time perspective. There's always a big, strong man at some point, though, isn't there? <laughs> and and there are always there's a couple of comments through it that are very, very dated, but I love it. And I think as a travel log, you know, they're, they're absolutely brilliant too. Yeah. My brother Michael is one I would recommend. It makes me want to go to Delphi, where I've never been. Well, look, good holiday reads, and we do have a few of them in my bookshop. So what's going to be your July challenge? Well, Corrie, you're not going to like this, but it started yesterday. I'll give you a hint. Not dry July. In one. I feel better already. Oh, I did have lunch with an AFL contact yesterday who told me I was far more interesting over a glass of champagne, which I thought was as good a reason as any to stick to dry July. I think you should start as you mean to go on. We certainly didn't do dry June by any means, but... We did come back feeling pretty healthy and we were pretty fit and we were both pretty happy about how we cope with a very big walk. I thought, you know, it's a good, it's a good opportunity to try something different. Oh, that's boring. And as, and as my great friend Sal, who I caught up in Rome with at the start of the trip, said to me one day years ago, if you're trying to get healthy for Christmas, if, you're not, if you haven't started by August, you're stuffed. She said, <laughs> you're stuffed. Which uh, is so true. Well, being healthy for me is a glass of wine at night. But look, um, I admire you, and I'll uh, and the be olives will continue. With... Oh, okay. Well, I have to do Bohemian Rhapsody, but also, given my, as you say, my the time I do spend on my phone, what I've noticed with this jet lag thing is I've been not using my phone and really trying to get a quiet night's sleep. And I've decided that no social media, basically no phone other than if somebody calls after 7pm every night. So I'm going to try and do that in July. That's really annoying for your friends. No, you can text me, but I'm not going to engage with the phone. But then you won't know that I've texted because you're not engaging with the phone. Well, I might just look at it as I pass, but I'm not going to be social media. Remember I'm not going that to be- day I was trying to get you around for a Scrabble game over summer? 
and I couldn't, and you decided to do one of these no phone mm. afternoons, and I was ringing your children saying, what's happened to her? The children were ringing each other going, where's mum? Everybody I freaked al- out. I almost sent out a search party. It was quite frightening. Anyway, all right, well, good luck with that. Good luck to me. I mightn't get there, but I'm going to do my best. Now, Corrie, we're going to talk about briefly about our walk through the south coast of Cornwall, which encompassed probably, with a couple of wrong turns, Probably about 80 k's in total, plus a bit of incidental walking. I think it was more than that, Caro, because you have to add on the other couple of days that we were in Cornwall when we weren't officially on a walk. And each of those days we did 10, 15 k's. So I think over that week period, we could probably say that we certainly clocked up at least 120 k's, something like that. Do you want to name your three of your highlights? Uh, Look, I will. So it it was a very quick trip, um, but... I'm here to tell you that when you've only just got two weeks, you can do an awful lot in two weeks. And as our friend and fellow travelling companion, Anna from the Op Shop says, you've got to make every post a winner, Corrie. And I certainly did. A couple of days in London, then the overnight train with you, our friend Trudy and Anna, the four of us getting on the overnight train to And the letter is Bishop. (laughs) (laughs) The the Reverend Wilde was his name. And Weird O'Neill. And what was her name? Nash. Nash, Nash the night porter. Who promised to tell us when the stop arrived and didn't. And you almost missed, get, you almost missed the walk. I, know, I didn't get off the train in time. Anyway, uh, my, these three things I loved about the walk uh, as opposed to the whole two weeks away. I loved the idea of a holiday with a fitness or activity element. I've never really done anything like that before. So I think that's now just completely dialed into my DNA. The other thing was discovering a new part of the world, not an original idea, I know, but, you know, all of these years of growing up with books based in Cornwall, starting when I was a junior with Victoria Holt, gothic <laughs> romances of the 19th century. Or Jean Plady, depending. <laughs> That's right. And and Daphne du Maurier and Cornwall is just so, – Cornish Pixies, actually. When I was a little kid, I had a book of Cornish uh, fairy stories and the Cornish Pixie appeared in everything. So it was really lovely to visit a place that I had heard and dreamed of so much and then it exceeded beyond expectation. And then the third thing, Caro, is I, unlike you, I have never travelled overseas with girlfriends. So I was married first time around at the age of 22 and I worked from the age of 17 to 22. I never went on a big trip. You and I were going to do it, but I got married and you went to London. I've never travelled overseas. Well, I get my end of the bargain if you don't mind me saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I know, but um, I anyway. had, uh, something kept me uh, out of going to London. But uh, I've travelled with partners and I've travelled with the children and, you know, with other gangs of friends, but I've never done the girlfriend thing and I loved that. I just, it was a whole new world to me of just, you know, girl power. So that was really fun. That would be my three highlights of that. Yeah, they were, we were very compatible, weren't we? It was an easy foursome, yeah. And I think you just, it's not that you go into best behaviour mode because we all know each other pretty well, but you do, you don't sweat the small stuff. And you just take joy in every opportunity. And because it was only a week together or 10 days together, we just, no, there was no fighting or maybe you all, I don't know, got stuck into me when I went up to the room to go to the bathroom. I don't know, but not I, too often. <laughs> but, but I just felt we that didn't, we were... In, you were the last one there every night. Well, how could we have got stuck into you? <laughs> drinking alone. But it was really lovely, I thought. And, and women who, of our age, you know, we are all losing friends through that dreaded breast cancer thing. We know people who are going through tough times. Friendships have become more and more precious. Your good girlfriends become more precious the older we get. And it was just a privilege to be with all of you. So I had a ball. So they're my, they're my three. What about you? I will, I'll be a bit more specific. Um, the village of St Moore's, where I have never been, I'd been to Foy, the other main place that we stayed. I just thought it was the most beautiful picturesque but working holiday town I just thought and it was lively stunning. and lively and you felt like you were you were part of it even though we clearly aren't we were just passing through I thought it was just one with the castle at one end and that lovely little harbour only about a half an hour or 20 minute walk away and the beautiful houses and the thatch roofs and the Atlantic I thought that was absolutely stunning so that was a place that I wanted to go back to again and again and again in terms of the walking, I, I've, I've done other walks before, several in Tasmania and one, another one in Europe. 
and I just felt that the changing scenery in this one, from farmyards to sweeping coastlines to climbing over stiles to the famous belted galloways to fields of goats to beautiful historic churches. I mean, I just felt a thought for me, historic houses, you know, that that place, that, that beautiful house at the bottom of Minabilly, Daphne de Maurier's old home, where they had lit up that beautiful lake on, you know, at D-Day as a distraction to the Germans. I just thought all of that was absolutely amazing. Mm. And the food. Yeah. The food. Wasn't we, it a surprise? We, we did not touch red meat for a week. We lived on crab and mackerel and cod and hake. And but, Carol, you and I have grown, grown up in, you know, 80s, 90s and everything with everybody bagging, quite rightly, I must say. Whenever I've been to England, we've bagged English food. It doesn't have a good reputation. I don't know whether it's the influence of Jamie Oliver, the European influence, people like Antonio Coluccio who've had restaurants in London, Rick Steins. But the food was amazing. Even yes. the pub grub was great. Yeah, well, well, there was one that probably well, – remember that night the cook jacked up and he wouldn't do the mackerel oh, well, and he, he wouldn't were, do the were, cod. Suddenly and, 30 people were all ordering a <laughs> counter tea at the same time. And we had to – it didn't matter. Said, we just oh, ordered, the, the cook's under stress. Or the we ordered another bottle stress. of wine. But we love uh, – they do the, – the English now celebrate their landscape and celebrate their country, certainly for tourists, and they just do it so well. So all of those highlights for me were just – and that, that little village of um, – Polkeris and the where we stopped one day and what started um, one of our daily walks was just fabulous. Remember the hidden hut, yes, which I'd read about in an old magazine of my mother's, and we just came upon it in our walk. I thought I was plotting ways I was going to well, we didn't get quite, you girls off the track. We to didn't get quite there. know what the hid, hidden hut was, and so if you can imagine, I was uh, banging on about it, and I didn't yeah, really think you thought I walking, knew what I was walking. No, you know, I'm, I'm, we did doubt you, but I'm glad that you persisted. But it it was like walking along, say back. Beach, I don't know, Sorrento or Backbeach, Point Lonsdale or something like that, and they're hidden in this in the bush scrub just above the sand, was like a toilet block or like a little surf lifesaving club, tiny yep. little building, but it was a series and of lots little of kitchens wooden tables. and lots of wooden tables outside, and the most fantastic food, all in little. Buckets Served and in cardboard stuff, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And they do, they do. We had these... dal. You had a. Did you have a little curry? I had did... fish soup. Yeah, Anna had curry. I think they were full of herbs and chili and stuff. But they do these feasts all through summer, and they they put they advertise the date two weeks before, and they're booked out very quickly. And you turn up, and they just feed you, and you're in this sand dune looking down at this beautiful bay, as we saw. Anyway, that was. So when so I the... when I went to the dunny there, I called into the kitchen, and the owner was there. The and dunny. She's... Corey, the dunny. <laughs> and, she, and she was, um, she, she's a woman probably of about our age, you know, like all Cornish women got that really fabulous, healthy, sandblasted look, tan, you know, no makeup, natural. They're all very tall and oh, thin, weren't they? gorgeous women, really yep. great and really plucky too. But she she just uh, said, I just have to tell you, you know, I think this is a great place and I wish we had one in Australia. And, and this has been her cooking dream to set this thing up. And she was, she has a lot of stuff, like it's a big operation. It's not just like, a, you you know, it just happened out of nowhere. But I now follow them on Instagram. Did you see I sent you and Anna and Trudy a little link to it? So you should follow oh, them. Oh, yes. And okay. bodies can follow them. I think it's just called The Hidden Hut. But anyway, have a look. It is. Now, one of the things um, you love doing when you're away is following a local story when you're in the country. And the red wine on the sofa saga with Boris and his partner, Claire. Yeah, I can't, um, I can't remember her name. Anyway, I should know that. Um, uh, Carrie, Carrie Simmons. Carrie Simmons, I'm sorry. So that story broke when we were – was that when we were in Foy? Yeah. Or not, uh, yeah. No, we were in – We, were we in, just uh, arrived in St Moors. We were in St Moors because it was the day we had our – it was after the walk and we remember we had a day just wandering around the town we went to Falmouth and then we came back in the afternoon set ourselves up in the front lounge and you Trudy and I played Scrabble ordering gin and tonics at about three o'clock was that the day and I won three games in a row might have been <laughs> I was waiting for that but we we were sort of obsessed by Boris anyway and Anna was read Anna doesn't play Scrabble much and she was reading the papers and came across on in the Saturday papers this story about Boris which 
of course, the entire UK erupted because he'd had this domestic drama. The Daily Mail, I swear, their turn of phrase <laughs> is hysterical. He's of Turkish descent and his, um, uh, his ideas towards our relationships are decidedly Eastern. You know, remember that line? But anyway, and they talk, it was a good excuse for the papers to dredge up his past again. You, I mean, that was more interesting than the actual blue over. He spilt red wine on her sofa. She said, you don't care about money. You don't care about anything. You don't care about possessions. And she sat on his computer. He's on his laptop, and then and, then, and the neighbours next door who are taping this, who it turns who out are left wing le- lefty Guardian, playwrights Guardian from America. <laughs> a description: Not, left wing Guardian readers. I thought that was hilarious. And American, they, and from New York, and they they ran the tape on it. Yeah, they ran the tape, and they on called the, the police, and they gave the tape to well, the Guardian. Well, after, after Carrie sat on the allegedly sat on the laptop, there's this huge thump, and I can imagine the couple on the other side of the wall going. Oh my God, what was that? You know, he's thumped her or something. So they've called the cops. They're still running the, the tape, which they then, I think, gave or sold or something to the Guardian. Well, the story, and, and, and the police came and Boris said, look, it's nothing, you know, go away. Thank you very and much. He's refused to answer one refused, question about it to this day. Given that he's standing for the Tory party leadership, aka the Prime Ministership of Britain, really, you would think you would be addressing this issue and putting it to bed, but all I week think, it's I think been it's simmering. been a smart ploy just to ignore it. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I reckon know. he'll win. I reckon There's he'll still oh, win. He still will because his votes in the counties, because so the Conservative Party in the counties all have a vote and this will take a couple of weeks to compile. And they're currently, in fact, they're in Cornwall this week, he and Jeremy Hunt. And they're going around the country trying to gain uh, leverage over one another with the voting. He is apparently 66% and Jeremy is 30 something so it looks like Boris has got it in the bag and he's actually not answering any questions nothing at all which I just think is just terrible and and dismissive and especially if he's going to be the future PM well it's sort of what happened with Scott Morrison really but what about until um until he addressed the Bill Shorten mother situation but what about the litany of his past and the way they don't call them former partners they call them mistresses (laughs) And the mistress who had the miscarriage and the illegitimate children. and, and the I love the drama of it, the oh, Brits, don't they? But he's, he's got more form than Farlap. Carol, I've he? been, fo- of course, obsessed by this story and I've been following it back home. Tom, the 29-year-old left-wing neighbour, and his partner, who they were both the ones running the tape on the fight. The ones who carry doesn't feel safe going back to her flat anymore. They, they, they don't feel safe now. So they have moved out saying that the press and angry pro-Boris neighbours Every time they approached their house, they received a shellacking from the neighbourhood. Oh so they haven't been the block. To, <laughs> I haven't been able to go home. So the story continues. Anyway, it looks like Boris will probably end up being PM. God save us. He does seem a bit unreliable to me. Just a little bit a unreliable. A little bit. <laughs> Now, Corrie, that was the big story in London. And what about on the Tuesday, my last full day in London – down the road in another part of England, Australia was beating England in the World Cup cricket. So it was just so enjoyable getting in cabs on Wednesday and being taken to Paddington Station. Oh, and don't tell me you went, na 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 na. Oh, no, they were bringing it up with me the minute I heard an Australian accent. And the cab driver actually said to me, he said, I drive a lot of your sportsmen around. I can't do a Cockney accent. I drive a lot of your sportsmen around. What is it about every time you ask them a question, they answer by saying, listen. Do we say listen at the start of every... And I thought... What an interesting observation. All, I thought, all you I Australians more, say listen. I thought it was more, yeah, no. Well, I said to him that. I said, I reckon we say, yeah, no. And he laughed. He said, yeah, but no. Then I thought, um, listen. Yeah, I reckon I do say listen a bit. Apparently, it's an Australian thing. There anyway. you go. But how about, uh, speaking of taxi drivers who drove famous people around, lovely Bob who picked us up from the station at uh, St. Austell. Austell, picked us up in the station. Half an and hour we said, late, but we forgave him. <laughs> <laughs> and we said, oh, you know, after 10 minutes of getting to know him, let's cut to the chase. Any Poldark stars? Have you driven around? Any? No, no Poldark, but I have driven around Doc Martin. We went, oh! right. Martin Clunes. And he was wearing he a badge. He was a saying, really nice bloke. He was wearing a badge saying 70 today. And he was so lovely. And he came back and got us again and took us to the Lost Gardens of Heligan. And then he was back again three days later and took us to Pol Keras. He was a lovely man. He was a lovely man. Bob. A lovely man, Bob. And he had a lovely 70. So, Heard all about so it. has the AFL world continued, Carol, while you've been away, or does everything stop? 
Don't be ridiculous, Corey. Don't be ridiculous. And there were lots of off-field stories that I would have loved to have got my teeth into. Just tell me, is the head of the AFL on holiday also? No. Well, he took five days in Hawaii, um, which is absolutely fair enough, but copped it for doing so because for some ridiculous reason, and I've spoken to you about this already this year, the AFL's media management this year has been a disaster. Liz Lucan, their full-time executive, has left to be a part-time consultant and which is absolutely fine, but in my view, it's been really tricky because the person they've put in charge, Jay Allen, who used to run the media at Carlton, is now running a much smaller department, reporting, direct reporting, not to anyone and not to corporate affairs, but to marketing, and that doesn't work. Caro, can we just tell everybody out there who is in the communications business, never combine marketing and media departments. It never works. They've got some serious structural issues going on at the AFL. Who do you deal with then? Who's head of media? Well, Jay Allen, but Liz Lucan is consulting. Anyway, that's been a real problem. And I I've felt that from the start of the year and I've been railing about it all year. I think the media department's too, st- too small. Gillen has struggled on a lot of footy issues. He's struggled on the in-ground security largely because he wasn't around when one of the big crises happened in terms of fans allegedly doing things and um, the fact that the AFL have been more vigilant about security, which I absolutely don't mind, but there was a real backlash. Obviously, the score review system has, I think, in some instances been a storm in a teacup, but people have gone nuts about that and the um, Gillan McLaughlin really hasn't handled questioning about that well. Steve Hocking, his football boss, remember in the days of Ian Collins and Mark Evans and Andrew Demetrio being football boss, they used to, Adrian Anderson, they do media all the time. Steve Hocking doesn't. He he said on Saturday on our show on 3AW that he's going to do a bit more. I think Is that Gillen, because he doesn't like it or it's the directive from above? He's operational, he said. It's just not something that comes naturally to him. Well, oh, has, no. to, has to. I mean, and he's perfectly got on his feet. I don't know why. Anyway, Gillan McLaughlin, I think, is unaccepted now that he needs to change his style a bit too. So he's been absolutely copping it left, right and centre. He was centre. He was smashed in his first media conference after he came back from Hawaii. He was smashed in the Herald Sun for going to Hawaii, which is – Andrew Demetrio used to take three weeks off routinely over I the June, d- July not, school I holidays. I do not have a problem with people who work in the – football industry having some time off. Well, I mean, I can't talk because I've just had three weeks off, but I, I just think you've got to be honest about it. So that's been the big AFL issue. And of course, tipping was very difficult over the weekend, Corrie. So how extraordinary. I mean, who would have thought that Carlton would beat Fremantle in Fremantle without their captain, Patrick Cripps? Absolutely unheard of. Who would have thought that Essendon, the way they were going with their coach under pressure, would beat Greater Western Sydney, who were you know aiming for one of the top spots? Who would think that the Bulldogs would go over to um, Adelaide Oval and beat Port Adelaide? It was, and who would think that North Melbourne would beat Collingwood? So we have two caretaker or fill-in coaches, if you like, yeah, for caretakers. North and Carlton. Both had big wins. Yeah, and their stock is rising by the minute. So this makes it very interesting with negotiations, doesn't it? Coaches are very interesting at the moment. Your man Clarko, I think, if it was me, I would start thinking about starting all over again. But if you were Hawthorne... I guess why would, would he, you let would him go? Would he go to go? He, oh no, like, he's he's adamant he's not going anywhere, mm. and Hawthorne are adamant too. But I still think that maybe you know he's sort of making it clear that he thinks they can have another crack very very soon. My view is that Hawthorne have got to start again to a degree with their list. I think their premiership players have lost the hunger. I agree a, with you. And um, but yeah, Reese Shaw, the North want John Longmire. And as we but John Longmire said on television this week, no, not going. Mm, Happy in Sydney. Didn't convince me. Oh, really? Didn't convince me. I think he's waiting for Sydney to make an offer. He hasn't said no to North. In the meantime, Reese Shaw, who no one expected to do this, has been an absolute revelation. Mm. Uh, so it's going to be it's going to it's going to be interesting, and I think Alan Richardson probably they, but looking, but looking like won. he might lose his job too. But Saints won on the weekend. Excuse me, they lost to Richmond. Oh, did they? What are you oh, sorry. About? Oh, sorry. I thought that they was one upset up. that didn't happen. I Corrie. must have fallen asleep at that point. Don't get the Tigers wrong. Uh, now, Caro, uh, you have a crush of the week, I believe, and not not surprising, it is football related yet again. And a brilliant segue, Corrie, because we did just mention the Saints and their former captain Nick Revolt. Uh, played is no longer involved at St Kilda. Although my view is he'll probably end end up back there sometime soon. Maybe in a. He board. doesn't want to be a coach, does he? No, I think he'll go on the board. Mm. But anyway, he 
um, has put his name to Maddie's Vision, which is now um, it had its fourth game at Marvel Stadium on Sunday, fourth year. It's not as big as the Neil Danaher big freeze. Congratulations, but, Neil, on becoming Victorian of the yes, Year. Yes, yes. But what Neil Danaher has done with the huge support of his brother, sorry, what Nick Revolt has done with the huge support of his family, his brother Alex, his cousin Jack Revolt, is create a game in the name of their beautiful sister Maddie, who died tragically, um, I think it was around five years ago now. It's um, called Maddie's Vision. It raises basically not only raises awareness, but they're actually putting money into a fund to try and find ways to find a cure for this terrible disease. And what they do is that everything becomes purple. It's at Marvel Stadium and St Kilda where instead of the red strip on their jumper, it's purple. Um, it's the first year that neither none of the Revolts have played in the game. Jack was injured and Nick's retired. Nick Revolt, I went to the function beforehand. He made the most beautiful speech. It was from the heart. It, I mean, we know he's gone into the media and he's been a star, just as he was as a player. I've, there's something about Nick Revolt's he's story. very charismatic. I've too. always loved. I've always loved. I loved his book, you know, his retirement book, written with Tommy Hanlon, Peter Hanlon, was one of the best footy books by a player of this era I've read. I thought it was really, really good and, again, just had a point of difference and was a lot more honest than most of them. But he spoke about how tough it is for his parents, um, particularly his mum, Fiona, and Joe, his dad, to have to relive the death of their beautiful daughter year in, year out. But they do it because of this great cause. And oh, it was just – and how it's – it, even though it's been a great tragedy, it's, it, people have just watched him grow as a human being as a result of what he's been through. And it was one of the great speeches. So here's my crush of the week. I think that's a very worthy crush, Caro. Thanks, Corrie. I appreciate that. Um, now we're going to talk about... We're Grum- in the bookshop today because there was a fire at Croc Media Studios where we... Uh, well, a fire on the floor below, but the studios have been wiped out. And we're in the bookshop today, which is a rather lovely venue because it saves us having to cross town to go, to, to go and record. And Miss Jane has bought in lemons for me because she knows I do not have a lemon tree. And they are covered in little ants and I'm just following them all around the table. <laughs> Jane, <laughs> you've brought wildlife in. But that's okay because Carol and I over the last couple of weeks have seen a lot of wildlife. And Carol. I don't know why you could be grumpy after a three-weeks holiday, but you are grumpy again, football being the centre of attention. Well, all I've done since I've been back, Corrie, a bit like you, is work. <laughs> because we've both hit the ground running. The first work-related thing I did was go into the media box at the MCG on Saturday to watch your Hawks go down gallantly to the West Coast Eagles. We did an interview with the Hawthorne president, Jeff Kennett. I mean, he has... He's been a good thing for Hawthorne as president in both his eras as president of the Hawthorne Footy Club. But he went on this rant on Saturday. At the lunch or on your radio On our radio show about journalists and commentators and what have they ever done? What have they ever done? What boards have they ever sat on? What community work have they ever done? They don't do anything to contribute to society. Well, it was just a ridiculous... Um, changing the subject rant that tried to muddy the waters about the fact that he had made some really unfortunate comments about staff at Marvel Stadium, who I think he referred to as new arrivals. Now, he was sort of vindicated in that a lot of the part-time security staff have been laid off, but the fact that they are new arrivals was a really unfortunate comment and not in line with the AFL's current diversity policy. He's, ta- he's taken a leaf out of Donald Trump's book. When you are attacked, you attack the journalists. He when was you do fo- something dumb, you ta- attack journalists. He was forced to apologise. He said he regretted his comments in a tweet. He denied he'd apologised, but then admitted he'd apologised and said he only apologised because he felt so sorry for Paul Gillan McLaughlin, who was being smashed by the media, the media who, what have they ever done? I mean, I kept saying to him, but their job is to commentate on football. It, it's, it doesn't matter what else they do, even though a lot of us do a lot of other things. No, you don't. It was just a ridiculous, irrelevant rant, and Jeff made me very grumpy. Day one, back at work. Mm, well, I can tell that obviously jet lag had nothing to do with that. Now, Corrie, we're going to move on to book, screen and food. 
BSF, which is uh, brought to us by our show sponsor, Vital Smarts. We haven't talked about Vital Smarts for some weeks, but we have talked about it a bit on our trip, which has been interesting. We and did. We talked a lot about crucial conversations, didn't we? We did. We had a few crucial conversations, both of us. And just remember, if you're feeling bullied and harassed by other people, but lacking the ability to confront the situation safely, develop those crucial conversation skills. They will give you the tools to talk when the stakes are high, giving you the confidence to speak up even in the toughest situation. You can learn how Vital Smarts has helped organisations shift behaviours, change cultures and improve performance by visiting the website vitalsmarts.com.au hashtag DSTM. That stands for Don't Shoot the Messenger. I think, Caro, you could have probably taken a little bit of a course from Vital Smarts on Crucial Conversations when I was navigating us through our walk over those few days and a couple of wrong terms. And you would just you did look a at very me, good job. And you just look at me and say, You've buggered it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that is a pretty unsubtle way yeah, with me almost in tears looking at the map. What about when we all except for Anna from the op shop, left our walking notes at home in Melbourne. <laughs> Me admitting it, you and Trudy knowing I'd left them at home and only Anna had notes and you still left them at home. And then Anna gave me her notes and I left them in Greece. So that was a crucial conversation between me and Anna as well. You have a book. I've read the most wonderful book and you lent it to me. It's called After the Party. Now, there are several books called After the Party. One is an Australian sort of a novel, but this novel is by Cressida Connolly. It is absolutely wonderful. I want to read everything by Cressida Connolly now. She's a daughter of Cyril Connolly, uh, the, the former writer. She was married to A.A. A. Gill for a time, the late A.A. A. Gill, the f- um, famous writer, food writer. And it is the story, it's a story of sisters. It is set in pre-war England And it is about the rise of the far right extremism, I suppose, and about the appeasement. Mostly and all of that. Yeah, um, the commander. Diana Mitford? Which? He was married to Diana. No, no, Diana. Mm. Um, It is about Sir Oswald Mosley, although he, he only features occasionally in the book. It is about a woman who becomes caught up in his movement. And what happens to her? The after the party is a double-barreled sort of meaning. After the party could mean the party that she was supporting, but it's also about an incident that happens at a famous ball in Sussex where she's living um, in that sort of upper-class set where she makes a terrible, terrible mistake. It isn't really... Don't give anything no, away. It isn't really the mistake she makes, but she lets it happen in a moment of weakness and it has a cataclysmic result on not only one particular person who she's very fond of but on her own life she it's all a it's all based on true stories and the camps that Mosley's people ran in rural England basically building up Brits to become fitter stronger whatever whatever it totally it's a fascinating period of British history oh, and it is told it's told from her looking back and also in the present tense. And um, she writes so well about sisters. I bought this book over for uh, to read and you fossicked it out of my suitcase. When do I get it back? Well, after mum's finished. <laughs> but uh, it so made it's me now doing the rounds of the Wilson... Well, she's written, and then uh, William, your brother, will read it, and I'll, I might get it back in. Six you might months. get it back down at the beach if you're lucky. But thank you because it, she's a revelation to me. She um, she wrote an essay about sisters after this book um, for one of the English papers because I was googling her, you know, really, absolutely voraciously after I finished it, and she said she was inspired by Elizabeth Bowen and some of her novels mm-hmm. about sisters, and of course Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, etc., Sense and Sensibility, and um, even books like The Virgin Suicides, but which which was a brilliant, although shattering book. But um, you, I, is it a good book club book? It's a great book club book. The other, I just wanted to mention a summer birdcage by Margaret Drabble, which is Drabble, which is one of my mother's and my favourite books about sisters. But I, I just would say that it is a great novel. It it is so terribly sad, but it has its moments. And at the heart of it is this relationship with the main character and her two sisters. So highly recommend After After the Party. After the Party by Cressida Conley. Yes.
Now, Go ahead. You've seen a movie, S, amazingly for you. S for screen. I, well, I saw a few on the aeroplane. You did. We and both did. In fact, that's going to be a new financial year resolution to go to more movies. So I saw this movie, and I think you did too on the aeroplane, Swimming with Men. Yes. A 2018 British comedy starring Rob Brydon, who I adore. And if potties are trying to think, who is he? He is in that tri- the trip series with Steve Coogan. He's the one who puts on the wonderful Sean Connolly, uh, Sean Connery impersonation. <laughs> he also is the host Payne. of Would I Lie to You, which is Coco and my favourite game show on television. And he was on QI with Stephen, what's his name? Gone out of my head. Fry. Thank you. For quite a few years. I love Rob Brydon and he is the key character and he plays an accountant who is going through a midlife crisis and his wife, Jane Horrocks, who of course was Bubbles in Absolutely Fabulous, his wife who is, has just been elected to local council and is quite ambitious and there's the sort of lurking mystery man who's I guess the head of the council, I'm not sure. but Leering politician. And is he having an affair with her? Handsome. I mean, poor Rob Bryden can't work this out. But he swims, that's his exercise, he swims at the local pool and one day he notices that there is a group of seven chaps who are trying to do a synchronised swimming routine and he's fascinated and because he's an accountant and a numbers man he says you you won't ever be able to do that move. It's like a turning wheel because you've got an odd number. You need an even number. So one of you's got to leave. And the the other swimmers get together and say, well, we don't want one to leave. Would you like to join us? So all of a sudden, Rob Bryden is in synchronized swimming. And it's a man club. And then through a set of circumstances, they are challenged to join the world male synchronized swimming competition to be held in, I can't remember, was it Italy, Amsterdam? Italy, Milan. that's right, Milan. So they decide they're going to go off to Milan. It is hilarious. But what is even more hilarious, Caro, are the misfits who are in this group. So if everybody knows Carson in Downton yeah. Abbey, Jim, oh, Ka- Jim Cater. The he's actor, fantastic in it, isn't he? He is hilarious, but quite happy to strip down into the boxer shorts and jump into the pool. Rupert Graves, who is just getting better looking with The token good-looking man. I mean, oh, it is a bit so- of a cliche, this movie, but um, it's enjoyable. Charlotte Riley, who I'm really loving in a rather average show. Well, it's not a bad drama on the ABC called Press. I think I've mentioned this to you yes. before, but she plays the news editor in Press. She is actually, ta- she takes on the role in Swimming with coach. Men as the coach and a bit of a love interest there for one of the um, one of the players. Although she's at the time having a fling with someone from the Swedish synchronised swimming team. That's right. And that team is in fact the real, real Swedish synchronised swimming team. They got back together. So, they, so <laughs> this movie. So this, this, the movie is inspired by this Swedish swimming team, Caro. They were a group of men in Stockholm who were all having a bit of a midlife crisis. You know, the kids are getting a bit older, marriages were breaking down or people were being sacked from work. You know, what is my place in the scheme of manhood things? And so they decided to do this. This is the true story. So the film, they've taken it over to Britain and they've sort of loosely based it on this group. But yes, at the swimming championships, it is the actual team. When they reveal that, that was one of the best things about the end of the film. Wasn't that great? I just love this film. It reminds me a bit of the full Monty and Brassed Off, but it has so many gentle moments. It's a well-worn story. It is, but Rob Brydon is so subtle and fabulous in this role. Uh, who would have thought? And quite a good swimmer too, I might say. Uh, I it's loved ba- it. It's based on a it. French or Spanish film, which was also on the plane when I, I was coming that. home. And it actually headlined, was one of the headlines of the British Film Festival last year. I don't know how well it did. Um, bit of a tip, our friend Mary, who I was in Greece with before I met you, went on I think to Idra or Spetsies on the other side of Greece um, in the Aegean and she nabbed a photo of Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan arriving on the island with a film crew and I think the next one's going to be Greece. Fabulous. It's going to be the trip to Greece or the Fabulous. trip to Greek Island. She was very happy with that and uh, mm. she certainly blew me out of the water with my spot the spot the star overseas and take a photo because I was in the bathroom, the with ladies Leslie at the Caron. Tate, and I came out to wash my hands and there was Leslie Caron of uh, an American in Paris fame. Gigi. So I took a photo in the bathroom. Yeah. And I couldn't believe you recognised her, but you said, oh, I interviewed her about 10 years ago. I knew what she looked like. And do you know how, what gave it away? Because I thought, oh, my God, that's Leslie Caron. And as she was drying her hands on the electric dryer, her feet 
were neatly in first position. Oh, I'm still... <laughs> because she used to be a ballet dancer. I was about 10 minutes behind you and I'm very disappointed I missed out on that. <laughs> but I think, Mary, I think Mary got the catch with Rob and Steve Coogan. So, uh, Swimming with Men, just a couple of tiny films I watched at my last leg. A film that did nothing here, but it's called Short Term 12. It's about five years old. It's interesting only because two of its stars have become massive stars since. They're Brie Larson and Rami Malek, who of course won the Oscar for portraying Freddie Mercury. It's, um, it's about a, a welfare uh, foster care centre. And it is brilliantly acted and a really interesting little film, Short Term 12. And a wonderful French film I told you in a text. Oh, you did. To watch, watch this. In Safe Hands. Oh, it was the most beautiful film. It's a French film about a baby who is born to a mother who doesn't want him because she's 21 and a student and it's a result of a one-night stand. And it's a process of what happens to this baby, the foster care, the adoptive parents, the social workers, Sounds the girl sad. herself. It's beautiful. It is one of the more beautiful, heartwarming films I have ever seen. So and it's can, called In Safe Hands. So I guess what we can do here, Caro, is to follow the lead of our potty who suggested earlier with this app, you just type it in. Felicity said just type in an app called Just Watch and we can pop in these film titles and then it'll pop up where we're in safe hands i would strongly recommend i was going to talk about the brilliant omelet i made on sunday night but i'll talk about the perfect omelet in a few weeks we both fell in love again with crab over i'm glad you said crab and not crabs (laughs) and i thought we'd talk briefly about ways to cook with crab now i've already talked about mum's beautiful pasta recipe where she just breaks up crab meat and deep fries, um, fries, breadcrumbs and parsley and chilli and a little bit of olive oil and puts crab I'm meat. I'm now in love with crab and I'm going to try yep. Jules' recipe. But the thing that we loved the most was the longest and most difficult day of walking. That morning we had walked down to the harbour at St Moore's and there was a little van there, a fishmonger's van, and the wife That's of it. the fisherman uh, was making fresh crab rolls so we wrapped it up i was a bit nervous about salmonella she said i'll put some ice in the bag for you poor trudy scored the job of carrying our four crab rolls and the ice and <laughs> on you a for the next walk. three hours saying that's we're all going to get salmonella the crab's going to be destroyed they were beautiful beautiful St. Justin Roseland. And we Roseland. all said, why did we, we only get one? <laughs> yeah, they were, they were beautiful though. St. Justin Roseland is the most stunning little church. 12th century, you just fall upon church it. began. You just fall upon it. And we sat water. in the graveyard, which might not be good karma, I well, suppose. Well, it was above the graveyard, really. And, and we lovely grassy down our, daisy. our crab rolls. She said she wasn't going to put too much mayonnaise on because she didn't want them to be soggy for us. And then, was it you or Anna? Somebody went back the following morning and thanked her for the beautiful rolls and she was really I did. She also had just the right amount of lemon and just the right amount of black pepper. And that would be my recipe for that would be my recipe tip in this segment. The crab crab roll. roll. Yeah. Well, remember the famous pillows, the prawn pillows. Oh, how can we forget? Well, that was originally based on a recipe from Gourmet Traveller magazine some years ago from my sister Moggs, and the original recipe was crab meat. So well, you, I think you should read. You add a bit of lime juice and a bit of mayonnaise. Reunion. I, I can't stand the word reunion. Everybody seems to have reunions all the time. Oh, I love a when, reunion. When we have our Cornish dinner. Shall I, I reach out to you, Corrie, and ask you to a Don't, reunion? My son, Will, was, has been visiting from Sydney. He used it three times last night over dinner. I said, reaching stop. Out. Stop reaching out. All right, I sent him an email. Good, William. That's what you do. You don't reach out. I'll tell you what else you do. You send an invitation to the reunion. You don't send an invite. Invite. Okay. To invite is a verb. It you is not a noun. You have sent us an invitation to a Cornish dinner, and I hope you all do. Well, there's another recipe pillows. that came out of, I think, Gourmet Traveller again earlier this year, which I made on Good Friday this year for Mum, which is a bruschetta, like very, very thinly sliced baguette, brushed with olive oil and toasted in the oven. Butter it, not with butter, but with avocado and lemon, which have, ma- which have you know, mashed whizzed up. up. Yep. They say to actually whiz it up to make it a puree, but I just mashed it up and top it with crab meat mixed up with a tiny bit of mayonnaise, black pepper and fin- the um, finger limes. Oh, yum. I didn't have finger limes, so I just used lime juice. Not quite the same, but really beautiful bar snack. Well, there's a recipe, so we might pop that on the Facebook the don't shoot the many ways, and uh, just but go, it's a general. This this segment today is a general admiration or re-admiration of crab. 
and all things Cornish. <laughs> and interestingly, Ed Kernow, whose family comes from Cornwall and who plays for Carlton, his brother Charlie got injured early in we the game. We saw Kernow bus line everywhere. Yeah, didn't we? Um, spelt differently, but um, they're Cornish. And he, they, those two brothers retraced their Cornish roots earlier this year and made a lovely little documentary on the Carlton website. But anyway, um, go to your local fishmonger. I know that they do they do it at the Victoria Market, the South Melbourne Market and the Paran Market at Claring Bolds and they sell crab and I noticed a lovely lady at the um, fishmonger at St. Moore's, yeah. in St Moore's. She had it too, Cryvact, and you can get just the white meat or the white and brown meat and notice she gave us just the white meat Great. and said, I'll charge you a little bit more but it's much better quality. Or you can go and catch your own just off the pier at Blegari. And the next day, we yeah, but much harder to break up. It's very fiddly. And the next day we went to the deli, the local deli, remember? And, and I bought cr- rosé in a can. <laughs> It was really nice. No and wonder we had, you're on dry July and we had, and we, had we, homemade... we, we were all having water and you rock in with a can. And I thought, can of Fanta, what's she doing? And she said, oh, it's rosé. It comes in a can. I had to try UDL, it. UDL, eat your heart out. It was, for the, it was for the good of the show. And it was the last, it was a you non-walking day. You did drink a lot, Nance. I did notice that overseas. Oh, oh please. I thought I was the big please. drinker. Oh, that's BSF. And thanks to Vital Smarts, globally proven, crucial conversations. I will be having a crucial conversation with you and about... And about your alcohol issue. Whole tough conversations well. You'll find more details and links in our show notes. Pot, kettle. Now, um, Corrie, extended mix of six quick questions, seven this week just because we can. What was your funniest walking moment? My funniest walking moment, Caro, was uh, I can't remember which day it was, but we uh, had left St Moore's and done the big sort of circle, I guess, and we were pretty tired and pretty grumpy coming back and we found the coastal track home which was to lead us all the way to the castle and all the way into St Moore's and you and just follow no tarmac lane no no no, no, it, no, <laughs> no stars to, no to, star climb, to over. climb over but uh, we did have just this little path no more than a meter wide I guess a little dirt track and we went through the next gate and all of a sudden there was no path oh my god and we're reading the notes walk to the next gate so we're, we've come across a wheat paddock and or grass paddock, actually. It wasn't wheat, nothing. And we couldn't find the track anywhere. And you or me or someone said, is that a gate up there, which was diagonally opposite, this, up yes. the hill, yep. on yep. the other side of the paddock. So we trudge up there, get there. Well, can't really see another the path. Hill. Another hill, another paddock. The farmer waves to us, which is so funny because people just, the farmers just let you walk through Well, that the was land. because I was, you didn't notice, but I was waving at him, <laughs> trying to get him to turn off so his So eventually he turned off the tractor and he has a plough and he's ploughing up, cutting all this grass. And we said, oh, terribly sorry, could you give us a hint? Where's the coastal track? And he said, I can't do a Cornish accent. I wish I could. Or... Yeah, I might have done a bit of a pro- might have done a bit of a bad thing there, and he mowed over the track. He mowed the pathway. He did say it's and pretty obvious. Grass- Just follow the hedgerow, which we did after that, and we were fine. But there was no track because he'd mowed over it, and he hadn't picked up his. I know. Well, I know. Walkers in Cornwall were outraged. <laughs> It, that, that was Who mows over the walking track? That was pretty funny, but it wasn't as funny as when we went to those beautiful gardens called Trilisic and we went down to catch for the first of several times the Prince Harry car ferry, which was basically a big piece of metal on chains crossing over from one side mm, of... Ta- very effective. takes about 20 cars. One side of the foy estuary to the other. And I looked up at the old sea dog who was leaning on the um, balcony up at the top with a pipe and I was about to make a comment and I realised it was a statue. <laughs> it was so realistic. It was, that, it was that can of rosé oh, that you had. No, I didn't have anything to drink, what as was you your, know, during the walk. What was your and worst, I had to stop everyone else from doing it. What was your worst walking moment? Oh, it has to be when we took the early turn off that day when we were meant to keep walking and take the next turn off on the right and we ended up walking through not one, not two, but three fields of corn, one fully (laughs) ploughed field of mud and realised that this could not surely be the quickest way to St Justin Roseland, the 12th century church. And we walked out of that paddock and Anna and Trudy were getting a little bit annoyed. They sort of jacked up that day. I tried to be humorous and say... 
what would the farmer think? He'll think a whole lot of aliens have come and visited his wheat field between the hours of 12 and 2 because all I, our tracks were completely through the wheat. I think that doubles up for worst and most non most um, enjoyable non – oh, you know, you've asked the most enjoyable my, non my, my, my worst walking moment, I have to say, was the rain on that day we walked from Podernick to Polruan, Podernick being where Daphne de Maurier's first time yep. the boathouse was. Yep. And it started to rain and we were becoming a little bit tense and then we arrived at the top of Atlantic Bay, which is a very cool, a very pole dark kind of moment. Beautiful bay. But the walking track had turned into mud. Well, I was so brave. I was always the first along. <laughs> I slid about ten feet. And there's no, there are no, there are no fences, of course, which is one of, safety fences, which is one of the beautiful things. No nanny state here in southern Cornwall. Uh, but I thought I'm going to just slide and slide and go over the edge, never to be seen again. That was a bit of a scary, worst walking moment. I thought. Yeah. No. No. Um. Now we go, Now I'm going to ask you your most enjoyable non-walking moment. Uh, I think probably that day sitting around in that lovely hotel in St Moore's playing Scrabble and watching you By the fire. Win, win three games in a row with a 78-point word, I think, throttle from memory. Yes. I could have throttled you I that day. I picked up three T's and I was concerned until I worked out I could do throttle. Um, well, mine, I think, was at the end of our last walking day when we did walk over 20 Ks. Um, putting on my bathers for the first time in about a w- almost a week and going down that beautiful ramp into that beautiful little rocky bay and having my first swim in the Atlantic for many, many years. It was absolutely beautiful. The water was pretty cold but not unbearable. Mm-hmm. And you said Port Phillip Bay late November. Yeah, early December maybe. No, See, it, was that, it was to Cornish people that summer. Absolutely stunning. Best spontaneous decision? Best spontaneous decision was uh, belongs to you. We had been to the pub at St Moore's for dinner and on the way home you heard some music coming out of another pub. You said, come on, girls, we're not going back to the room, we're going in here. So we were all a bit tired, we were a bit reluctant. Well, you were about to jack up. You kept walking briefly, you I know, and Trudy. I know, we were a bit like, oh, and anyway, and Anna followed you in and then we followed and we listened to that lovely Nick who was a debutante guitarist. It was his first gig and he noticed me filming it and came up to me later and said, could I please send him the footage because he had no footage of himself performing in front of an audience because this was his first night. And now you... Following him on Instagram. In fact, didn't <laughs> you accidentally? Besties. Didn't you accidentally the next morning? <laughs> the poor bugger had to drive all the way home to Newquay, which was about an hour and a half away. Trudy said, "Trudy said, oh, thank you, thank you so much for performing tonight," and pulled some chocolate out of her bag. She was handing that chocolate out the left, walk. right, and centre. So he went, "Oh, thanks, I'll leave it on the way home." And then I FaceTimed him at seven a.m. Yeah. Oh, and quickly hung up when I realised. Lovely locals' <laughs> night and beautiful little pub. Which so I what was your best? The best bathrooms. What was your best spontaneous moment? Um, well, well, that was actually um, one that I thought was pretty good as well. But I think on the first day when we were all feeling a bit discombobulated and not sure exactly what we were going to do, um, we did two things that we hadn't planned. We went to the Lost Gardens of Heligan, which mm. was absolutely beautiful, which um, was just a wonderful... recommend. The sun came out and it was just a beautiful place with that kitchen garden. And a beautiful story. Was, yeah, um, the reason it's the Lost Gardens is because the, the, there were a number of workers on this old estate back in the early 20th century and they lost nine of their 11 gardeners, in I think, First in World, World War, War. One. Yep. And the owner, who was a keen gardener and he had befriended them all, was so bereft... I don't think he ever really went into the garden again. And, of course, it was overgrown and lost until the 1990s when a family member resurrected it. It was such a sad story. Yeah, that, they were beautiful. And the walking tour of Foy the next morning with... Um, Sally. With Sally, who um, to- told us we were a very quiet group, which... Um, she <laughs> surprised yeah, me. She doesn't know us all that well. No, she doesn't. Worst spontaneous decision, I reckon was the non-decision not to go and see Jennifer Saunders in Noel Coward's Blythe Spirit at the theatre in Bath when we were walking to our last dinner, which we probably could have done without, and we'd had so many beautiful meals, and we just didn't think... I don't know whether it was sold out, but what well, a we wonderful... Well, we were kind of keen on getting to the fish restaurant that you'd recommended. We should have ditched the fish, yeah, fish restaurant. I know, And I know. gone and seen... Jennifer, why didn't we do that? I know. Well, actually, Trudy had recommended, and she wasn't there, and we were going there on behalf of Trudy. And look, it was a fun night, but I just wish we'd done that. Uh, worst spontaneous decision for me was that, that final day, and we knew the Church of St. Just was in that direction, 
I said, why don't we just, we're a bit lost, why don't we just ditch the map? I think if we just go in this direction, we'll get there. But what we didn't realise was there was an estuary between our side of the bank and that side of the bank. And the whole reason we were supposed to go the long way was to go around. Yeah, we probably <laughs> That was not a great day. Um, I've Carol, done my best garden moment. What was yours? Well, my best garden moment, I'm also saying the Lost Gardens of Heligan. But you did also introduce me to Stourhead, the 1,000 hectare estate uh, just out of Bath. And it has, of course, a garden by Capability Brown. Mm, Gosh, what a beautiful... Getting there at 9am on a Monday when we were the first punters in and no one was around. Good local tip. No one was there. Wasn't it beautiful? We we, um, circumnavigated that beautiful lake and went to all those, you know, that gorgeous little church and the... um, Really good tip. The hidden fisherman's hut and the... Carol, we've been talking for about three hours, but I just wanted to ask you a seventh question. What was your best exhibition? Oh, definitely the Vincent van Gogh at the Tate Museum, where I haven't been for many years. We went to the Tates and Ives, which I loved, and we went – I've been many times to the Tate Modern in recent years, but Vincent van Gogh and his – how the English influenced him as a young man living as an art dealer in London and falling in love with people like Charles Dickens and all those dark satanic mills and a lot of other English writers and painters and then how he influenced English painters. It was fabulously curated. I'm with you on that one. But I would also just pay tribute to the exhibition Mary Quant at the V&A. That uh, was great too, wasn't brilliant. it? Brilliant. Trip down memory lane for the 60s and 70s. So well curated. Such a clever exhibition. Uh, great to be back, Caro. Corrie, it's great. I can't believe it's episode 90. Jane Neild, our wonderful producer, it's wonderful to see you again and your beautiful camellias and your beautiful lemons, which is going to go with my... Um, and your ne- ants, Jane. The ants with the from next Ballarat cra- are having a fun time on the table in the bookshop. The next crab extravaganza. Tell your friends and family to subscribe to our podcast. Next week we'll be back in action. We won't be banging on about our trip, I promise. Caro, next week I will be reviewing the new hot Nikki Sava book on what happened to Malcolm Turnbull and the rise of Scott Morrison. And just a little plug, Nikki Sava is actually coming to the bookshop on Monday the 15th of July, 6.30 to 7.30pm, $25 for a ticket, glass of wine, bit of cheese and listen to your husband, Brendan Donoghue, interview Nikki Sava. It is going to be a sellout event if anybody would she like to come. She was fabulous when you had her last time oh, well, talking that was a, about that it. was a sellout so if you want to come to the Hawksburn shop just give us a call on 98242990 98242990 and we can sell you a ticket and send your feedback comments and tips and suggestions to the don't shoot the messenger facebook page follow us on instagram at don't shoot pod we tweet just join at don't shoot pod and you can email us feedback at don't shoot pod.com.au we will be having a little bit of a wingding a little bit of a party for our 100th episode which is coming up in september details we're to all come. going to caro's house thank you no well, i think we might be coming to your house or your house of books thank you to vital smarts globally proven crucial conversations hold tough conversations well and thank you again to jane neild and remember cory don't shoot the messenger Hi, I'm Ann Summers. Hello, this is Laura Tingle. Hi, this is Leanne Moriarty. I'm Jen Harper. Hi, I'm Marcus Suzak. I'm David Maher. Join me on The Book Pod. I hope you can join Corey Perkin and I on The Book Pod. I would have been any one of the famous five. I just wanted to have those sorts of adventures because, believe me, nothing like that happened in suburban Caulfield. Always, no matter how abstract the issue, you have to find the narrative and you have to find characters and around those you build the story. You know, some authors take a decade to write a book. I would miss the meeting the readers. And I think also people often completely underestimate if something is easy to read, they think that means it's easy to write and it's absolutely not. It's such a skill. Subscribe to the book pod. Subscribe to the book pod. In your favourite podcast app. Wherever you listen to podcasts.